Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Excited about. For those of you that don't know, this is Pastor Chuck. I'm assuming everyone does know, unless this is your first night to anything that Trinity Community Church has hosted. And it is so good, Pastor Chuck, for you to be with us tonight. So excited about this. Um, I'll just take a moment and say I'm so thankful to be encouraged, invited to come and be with you all tonight. And um, it's not my first time here because, in, in ways you wouldn't know, I've sometimes come and sat in the back and listened to the teaching and the worship and watched as the, as you get up and leave and sometimes head to your small groups and so on. I, I'm so grateful for what God is doing in this ministry. I'm grateful for, I'm going to say this because it, it, it comes from the heart. I love this brother and I'm so thankful for not so much his ministry, though I'm incredibly grateful for that but for his, what God has given to me in, in him as a friend and a partner in ministry. And when I think about, you know, Andre and Sam together, um, here's this older guy and these two young guys who are incredible gifts from God to our church in ways that I think maybe I appreciate more than anybody because I've been at it so long. And I know what God has given us. And no, Sam didn't encourage me to... He did, he did give me a note of a text a little bit ago and said, say a few things about me. That would really be helpful. But, it was followed with a Venmo of <laughs> exactly. 20 bucks. And just a real quick couple of things. I, I do know a lot of you who are students, young adults. I know others of you who are part of the leadership team. And it, it's so good to see each of you here. I got to take a moment. I thought you were going to finish the deal, the little conversation that you were having with Ben there, you know, and he says he fire, he, he flies fast planes. He, they didn't finish it. He doesn't, you know, he, he flies F-15s. I've actually seen him. I've been down there at the, the Air National Guard and I've watched him. Oh my gosh, an F-15. We're talking about the real deal. And I watch these guys come in. Maybe, maybe um, it's, you're not as impressed as I am, but I've watched these guys come in and you see this stuff and literally a straight up vertical and over. So, um, when I get to heaven, I want to fly an F-15. I want to be like, I want to be like Ben. But the other thing I got to say, Chad and Rebecca, I'm looking at you back there. I didn't know you were having twins, and you're not just having twins. You're having a boy and a girl. I'm a twin, and I have a twin sister. And I want you to know the trauma I went through as a kid. <laughs> My parents, I swear, I got pictures, and I've just finished 47 years of counseling as a result of that. Had us wear these little sailor suits where I looked exactly like her with these little shorts on and this little bow and all this stuff. So I just want, you know, come see me, would you? So I can, I can save your kids a whole lot of problem by way of you dressing them the same. But honestly, praise God, um, to this day, my twin sister and I are so close. And um, so anyway, congratulations to you guys. Chuck so, always reminds us when it's his twin sister's birthday. Yeah. 
I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to draw attention to myself. You know, so, so it is my twin sister's birthday, so if you've got gift cards and things like that for her, of course, let me know. Well, honestly, Chuck, I speak on everyone's behalf here when I say we're really grateful that you've come tonight. And honestly, this isn't the mutual admiration society, but those of us who have been around long enough know that this church wouldn't be the way that it is uh, had the Lord not brought this man to come and shepherd the flock here. And so as we get time to ask him questions about the importance of church membership, I really pray that you listen very carefully because we're not just listening to a Bible answer man. We're listening to a shepherd who has put in, I don't want to make it sound really long, but it's, it's a testimony to God's grace over a quarter of a century here at Trinity Community Church is an amazing, amazing indication of God's faithfulness to him, to us, and the gift of Chuck's faithfulness to us. So what a prize we have here. And if this keeps going the way it is, we won't have to, I won't have to answer any of your tough questions. Yeah. Just talk about us and how we're doing. But you know, as I listen to Sam, sorry. Your turn, one go. One last thing, yeah. I, I listen to that and I can't help but think about my Kathy. I've been married to her for 43 years. And when you say the things you say, I, I don't think I, I can honestly say she is such a precious gift. I know that sounds a little corny. She's in love with the Lord Jesus. She is the joy of our home. We have five adult kids. They're all married. We have 12 grandkids. Um, and I think about what she has endured in some respects, not just because she's married to a pastor and all the things that go into these many years together, but because she got stuck with me. She was only 19 when we got married. And, um, but I, I just think about what God has given to this church through the gift of this precious girl. Mm-hmm. And she's still a, a kid in so many ways. And so, mm-hmm. so thankful for her. And I had to make Sweet. mention of that. And you're wise to do so. I thought I'd begin by asking Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck, you've been here for, is it 26 years now? We're in our 26th year. Amazing. I know. Yeah. And Still got a job. I can't believe it. <laughs> I want to start us off on a really warm note. What in the world do you love so much about Trinity Community Church? You didn't give me that question ahead of time. I know, I'm sorry. sorry. This is a hard question. I'm just doing it on the fly because I'm hearing you and I wanted to I wanted to give you a... There's a number of things that one could say, but honestly what comes to my mind is what I have experienced by way of God's grace and faithfulness. It could have made it about people, could have made it about staff, could have made it about a whole bunch of things. But when you've lived as many years in this place and seeing the things that God has done, you think men and women come and go, pastors come and go. It's amazing the God we serve. And the longer you live, the more, and I know at your age, you're just kind of starting out at least compared to people like me. But when you ask that question, the thing I love about Trinity is that God has had mercy on us. He's shown his favor to this church not because of any pastors or elders or anybody else. God does what pleases him. And there are churches in town that, praise God, we are so grateful for. But I have brothers in Christ, pastors who I went to seminary with and 
we were in each other's weddings and in so many cases their churches just have not had the favor and blessing of God. In some cases their marriages didn't last. And so my answer to your question is God is good. Hmm. He's gracious. He's merciful. And real quick, the favor we enjoy is fragile. It's so easy to think, oh my goodness, look what God is doing here in this room tonight on this campus with the children and the students and the adults and missions and there's just a whole bunch of things. It's nothing for a church to forget that the God who gave grace to be who we, what we enjoy today is fragile. It, the enemy is constantly looking for ways whether it's in the life of a single man, a pastor, or a couple, or in a marriage, or among the elders, to, to cause some sort of, he's looking, he's not happy with the glory that God is getting in this mm. place. And fortunately, as we just sang, one little word shall fail him. Mm -hmm. That word above all earthly powers. No thanks to him abideth, meaning Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you're part of that. You may not feel it the same way, and I'm giving way too long an answer, but I remember when I was in a young adult. I was a college student. I remember our college ministry. I, my parents had divorced when I was in high school. I still remember being in my bedroom and listening to my mom and dad say, my mom say to my dad, well, then if you want to leave, leave. And the impact of that, I can still remember sitting on the steps at UC Davis when I was a pre-med student saying, what are you doing here? And um, that's another story. And weeping. And God used that brokenness at that time in my life to point me to Christ, but not by myself. There was a college ministry with a guy named Bill Steele who has since gone home to be with the Lord who loved Christ and wanted to disciple young men and women. And the result of that was a, not just a, a call to Christ, but a call to ministry. And so where you are today, and uncertain as it might seem, and even painful as some of you may be experiencing, feeling, does anybody know, does God see? He sees you. He so loves you. And his purpose and plans for each of you are all the same in the sense it's to know him and to enjoy his call in your life, but can be just as unique as you are. And let's watch and wait and see if the Lord doesn't return tonight or tomorrow or next week. You trust him. He who began a good work in you, and your being here tonight is evidence of that, he will carry it on to perfection until the day when Christ comes again. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Mm -hmm. I won't be around as long as a bunch of you, but... Well, you'll have the best seats of all. Right? What's that? You'll have the best seat of all if you this won't be around This is the best anymore. seat I've ever had in this church, by the way. We might start doing this on Sunday mornings, you know? Can we start this Sunday? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're preaching, brother. <laughs> yeah. um, Sam's preaching Sunday, so... I don't, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I actually kind of asked Pastor Chuck a trick question. It wasn't fair of me. I asked him what his favorite thing is about Trinity Community Church. And did you notice what he said? God is so good. God is so faithful. Did you notice that? Because here, here's the thing. The reason why it's a trick question is this. 
We're not up here having this discussion so that you idolize Trinity Community Church. So that you, you think that Trinity Community Church is so important. What we're wanting you to do is take God important, uh, take God seriously. And God has designed the local church to be where he sanctifies his children, where he grows up his children, where he raises his family. Mm-hmm. And so as you hear Pastor Chuck say that, it's not a mistake. That's, that's where his convictions lie. Now, on that note, Pastor Chuck, as we are looking at a few questions that we anticipated would be on the minds of those here, it might be on someone's mind to say something like, membership isn't in the Bible. And I'm sure you know where they're coming from. But I'm curious, could you tell us where membership is in the Bible? And maybe even more personally, how were you convinced that the Bible does in fact teach us to be members at a local church? Yeah, now the questions get more serious and more challenging. And I did do some preparation for being here with you, and including anticipating and answering that question. Um, if somebody were to say the word member in the sense of church membership is not in the Bible, they'd be right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. There are other, right? I think so. <laughs> we made a deal ahead of time. I said, if I say something that's not true, don't correct me in front of my friends, okay? I'll just leave it to you. But what we find in God's Word is that, that the idea of not just that we are a family, and one might say, I can be part of the family of God through faith in Christ, and that's absolutely true. Can you be saved without being a member of a church? Of course. But what the New Testament clearly teaches, and I'm going to take a few moments to read a few sentences so that I get it as clear as I'm hoping you'll hear it, is that, for example, 60 times the word church, ekklesia is the word in the Greek. A little fun with the Greek. Greek is such a great language. I'm not a Greek scholar. I've got to look in books to learn what he already has in his mind. But ek means out, clay means called, Sia ones, the called out ones, called out from the world into the body of Christ, into the family of God. We use the word family a lot around here. It wasn't our idea. God's the one who came up with that. Look at the New Testament. Look at what Jesus said. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. The word Abba means Daddy. How personal. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So the whole idea of being a family is what God has called us into. Families are make commitments to each other by virtue of being born into that family, by virtue of how they live their life together. And so I'm going to take just a moment, if I could, and I hope you'll be patient as I read a few sentences in answer to the question, the Bible doesn't use the word member or membership, is the concept of membership in God's word? Absolutely. So listen to, these are pages, by the way, I'm not going to read them all, don't worry, but a few paragraphs from the pages that are part of our membership syllabus that we'll be sharing next weekend. This one is entitled, and there are only four or five pages, and I've never read the whole thing to the class. In fact, I don't even now read to the group that gathers. I say, your assignment is to read these and have it when you're done looking like, done with it, look like this, where you've, where you've 
taken to heart the things it says. In a day when commitment, so I'm going to read a sentence first and then the rest of this will support it. The difference between members and attenders is commitment. You might be offended by that if you're among those who says, I don't necessarily see the value of membership and I think you just said I'm not as committed as others. Actually, that whole idea of the commitment we make through the membership process, the covenant we make before God with others. Let me ask you, just give you a quick thing before I read this. Somebody might say, well, what's, it's, it's a, maybe an inadequate metaphor, but is there a difference between living together and being married? What is the difference? You say, well, I can love them just as much living together as being married. What happens when you're married is you take vows before God. Even the state recognizes and you sign documents, etc. Whether you do it in front of a judge or in Las Vegas or standing here as people do. You are formalizing that covenant, that commitment, that love by standing before God by signing documents before the state. And there are a lot of folks that say, I'm just as committed if I'm living together but not doing all that. Actually, you got into that easily, you can get out of it just as easily. There's something about making that covenant commitment. The word covenant, by the way, in the Hebrew is the word barith. By the way, in a wedding, when I do the wedding vows with a couple, and different folks have different vows and some have trivialized the vows the so that they are so personal they don't take seriously what God's word says. I do promise and covenant. Interesting. Could have just said, I promise. I make this promise. But the scriptures it brings in, by the way, these words come from, from God's word. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. The word covenant in the Hebrew is barith. It's a great word. God is a covenant God. The covenant of marriage we talk about. It means, literally, interestingly enough, to cut. And you'll see an example of this in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, they didn't necessarily sign documents, but they would take an animal. If they were poor, they'd take a pigeon. They'd take, if they had more resources, they'd take a lamb or a calf or whatever, and they'd cut it in half, and they'd lay those two pieces side by side. Sounds strange, but this is how seriously they took the covenant, and what I say next will prove that. And they would state their intentions to each other, standing on one side, with others as witnesses, knowing that God is the witness, and having stated that intention, maybe not signing a document, not uh, shaking hands, they'd walk between those two halves. And you know what it symbolized? You see this in Abraham, you see this in the Old Testament. They were saying, I am so aware of the commitment I'm making that I make this commitment knowing that even if you don't keep your part of the covenant, may I become as food for the insides of the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Covenant commitment is a big thing, big deal to God. And so when it comes to a local church, 60 times the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament. Of those 60 times, 
Only four times is it used of the church universal, capital C. The church meaning all around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ from different nations, languages, tribes, and peoples in the language of Revelation. Heaven's going to look a lot different than it does right now. Praise God, no offense. It's going to be people of colors and nations and languages that all were redeemed by the blood of Christ. Four times it's used of the church universal down across the centuries, the church, and throughout the world today. Fifty-six times when the word church is used in the New Testament, it has specific reference to the local body of believers. Where does the Bible put emphasis? Mm. It certainly values the church universal, but it's saying when it comes to instruction and what God's word says, I want you to recognize the value of the local church and your commitment to that church and its reciprocal commitment to you. Wow, that was a lot more than you needed to hear or maybe wanted to hear, but listen to these sentences. In the day when commitment is a rare commodity, I think most of us could agree with that, it should come as no surprise that church membership is such a low priority for so many believers. However, to neglect or refuse to join a church as a formal member reflects a misunderstanding doesn't say you're a big sinner or anything else, but it reflects a misunderstanding of what the Bible clearly reveals as the believer's responsibility to the body of Christ. It also cuts one off from what the Bible clearly reveals are the many blessings and opportunities that flow from this commitment. It is essential for every Christian to understand that church membership, what church membership is and why it matters. Skipping down that statement again, the difference between members and attenders is commitment. To become a member of a local church is to formally commit yourself to an identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for specifically specific divinely ordained purposes. And it goes on to list those. Although scripture does not contain an explicit command to formally join a local church, the biblical foundation for church membership permeates the New Testament. This biblical basis can be seen most clearly in the example of the early church, the existence of church government, the exhortation to mutual edification. Oh, I want so much to read the few paragraphs that illustrate those three. They're compelling. What the New Testament teaches with regard to the importance of the local church and being identified with that local body in a way that is continuing and committed. Um, hear this under the example of the early church. In the early church, coming to Christ was coming to be a part of a local church. They didn't make a distinction between the two. We understand the distinction. You come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You come to Christ. But in coming to Christ, they understood, I'm not just coming to Jesus and on my own, me and Jesus. I'm coming to be identified with and committed to a local body of believers. So it says here, the letters of the New Testament let me read back here. The idea, the idea of experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church in a recognizable and identifiable way is foreign to the New Testament. 
when individuals repented and believed in Christ, they were baptized and added to the local church. The letters of the New Testament were written to churches. Let me jump down here. The consistent pattern throughout the New Testament is that a plurality of elders is to oversee each local body of believers. The specific duties given to those elders presuppose a clearly defined group of church members who are under their care. Listen to this. Among other things, these godly men are responsible to shepherd God's people and to keep watch over their souls. Those responsibilities, he lists more than the two I just read, those responsibilities require that there be a distinguishable, mutually understood membership in the local church. Elders can shepherd the people and give account to God for their spiritual well-being only if they know those for whom they are responsible. And they can fulfill their duty to shepherd the flock only if they know who is committed to being a part of the flock and who is not. The elders of a local church are not responsible for the spiritual well-being of every individual who visits the church or who attends sporadically or even regularly. Rather, they are primarily responsible to shepherd those who have submitted themselves to the care and authority of the elders in accordance with the New Testament instruction and model, and this is done through church membership. Finally, under the exhortation to mutual edification, the New Testament teaches that the church is the body of Christ and that God has called every member to a life devoted to commitment to and growth in that body. Mutual edification can only take place in the context of the corporate body of Christ. Exhortations to this kind of ministry presuppose that believers have committed themselves to other believers in a specific local assembly. Church membership is simply the formal way to make and honor that commitment. I don't know if all that makes sense to you. There are other resources, but if we find this all the time, almost every day, not just every week, when we're processing a situation with somebody who's either hurting or is needing some pastoral care of, they may be causing issues in the church, contrary to the instruction of God's word. We will often almost immediately ask the question, is she a member? Is he a member? Why? We don't ultimately have any appropriate biblical pastoral authority over those who aren't members because they haven't committed to us and in a sense because they haven't we haven't made the commitment to them to shepherd and care for them but those who are members have already said in the membership covenant that they have agreed to and stated publicly they are those who who have said we want you when the time comes because of your love for Christ and your accountability to God to come and shepherd us, whether we're hurting deeply or whether we're maybe misbehaving and not even knowing what we're causing. So we begin with the question, is he a member, is she a member? If somebody said, does that mean you give more care and love to members than non-members? No. They're every single one of you. Given the opportunity, we will love and care for with the heart of Christ, whether you're a member or not, if you come through that door in accordance with what might be your story and your need. But we can't fulfill completely all that the scriptures tell us is required. One last thing on this, I promise. 
the most of the commands given in the New Testament to believers cannot be fully honored and obeyed apart from a continuing commitment to a relationship with other believers. You say, well, I can read every command in there. There are so many one another's that are only fully implemented or obeyed in your life as you do so in the context of I'm committed to you and you're committed to me. And membership is a way to honor and express that commitment. Mm. Wow. Time's up. That was great. You answered all our questions for the night. Um, No, actually, you raised a point in my mind, Pastor Chuck, as we're especially young men and women, I mean everyone, but particularly it's good for us young men and women who might be tempted to be rambunctious and anti-authoritarian. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And obey them and submit to them so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning for this would be unprofitable for you. And I think, how else do you know who your leaders are? And how else do they know who they give an account for unless we formally commit to one another? You can't really obey that in a measurable way. Just this afternoon, I was meeting with a young man your age, maybe just a little bit older than you. And he was asking me at the end, what was some final bit of advice that you'd give for me? And I'd say, I would contact several of the elders and ask them to spend time with you. Make sure they know who you are. Make sure you know who they are. And you need to have a relationship with them so that it's going to curb your temptations to act like an idiot if you have actual faces who know you that you're going to give an account to. You've, you've had coffee with them. You've prayed together. They know you. They've... they've They've ministered the word to your face, and, and uh, he said, I'll, I'll do that. And that's, that's wise. That's counsel I'd give to every person in this room as you pursue membership. Pastor Chuck, as you we... Can, you don't have to call me Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck, what... Uh, <laughs> what I are had the, this sweet gal was on the phone with her yesterday, and she keeps calling me Pastor Chuck, and I've known her for ever. And so I said, you keep calling me Pastor Chuck, I'm going to call you Sister Heather, <laughs> it was. It's a little tougher to do that with the guys because they're happy to be called brother, you know, brother this, brother that, but sister, you know, doesn't look so good. So. Yeah, I'm kind of offended because you call me sister. I'm not going to call you sister Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> thought about it, but I thought, I don't know your people that well. You've somewhat, you've answered this, but just to clarify a couple points. What must be true of any person in this room in order for them to become a member at Trinity Community Church? So what are the prerequisites for them to become a member at Trinity Community Church? And a couple of things I want to ask specifically on that. We're a more Calvinistic church. Do they have to be a five-point Calvinist? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do they have to have a certain stance on charismatic gifts, speaking in tongues, and things like that? Um, So I wanted to tee that all up for you to to address in a package. You're being gracious because I would actually, I'm not uncomfortable with giving that answer, but I know that you're asking the question that you could give such a good answer to yourself. Yeah, you could. I will begin by saying an answer, and I anticipate that question, by saying I'm not a big fan, don't misunderstand me, of the word Calvinistic. 
Not because I got my Calvin's Institutes. I've studied them. They're all marked up. I love that stuff. But there's so much misunderstanding of the meaning of that word. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to say, and it becomes an issue for people because they say, you know, you're a Calvinist or your church is Calvinist or you're five-point Calvinist or this or that. I don't even know if we as pastors know for sure what one another is. I'm sure you know whether you're four, five, seven, or ten. I know there's only five. No one will ever find out. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's okay because we're not focusing on that, though the conversation can be wonderful. I prefer the term, as I know Sam probably does as well, reformed. And reformed meaning in reference to what happened through the Reformation, not just Calvin, but Luther and Zwingli and all that that is so rich mm. and wonderful. And reformed is a much more descriptive and and better understood once people share versus the negative connotation for some people who have misunderstood what has been said about Calvin and is not accurate. Mm. Even the tulip thing, he didn't come up with those five deals. Somebody else did that to be critical of him and summarize, I think. If I'm wrong again, no correct. Yeah, that was their response to criticisms. Yes. So what is required? Um, This is simple, but we have five membership questions. And I, I say in answer to your question, what is required? Do you have to all believe exactly the same thing with regard to spiritual gifts or the five points of Calvinism, Calvinism, et cetera? No. Our basic questions, our membership questions, I do want to read them because these questions, in order for you to be received into membership by the elders, require an affirmative response. In addition, after I've read these questions, we have a statement of faith. And every new member not only gives an affirmative response to those five questions, but says, I affirm that statement of faith. It's just basic biblical Christianity. It doesn't talk about your view on spiritual gifts or your view on election or predestination or all those things. It's just by grace alone, through faith alone, put into the form of of a a, a basic understanding of what the gospel says. We require of our elders who are in a, a different level of responsibility to affirm the New Hampshire Confession. That's on the back page of uh, the, uh, this, this statement of faith. There it is. It's, there's our statement of faith. It's that brief. You'll see the five questions. The New Hampshire Confession is one of a number of confessions, but we require elders because it's a little bit more focused in terms of our Reformed faith. We have what we call theological distinctives. Do you have to affirm all these? Nope, you don't have to affirm any of them. But they do give somebody who's online searching for churches say, what, what would you say characterizes your church that distinguishes your church maybe from other churches that I've been at or might be part of? Um, so here are those five questions. This is the answer to the question, what is required to become a member of this church? Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God? And without hope, for your salvation, except in his sovereign mercy. Mm. If so, say, I do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Not 
the way so-and-so does it on TV, or, but as he's offered in God's word. Thirdly, do you wholeheartedly affirm the Trinity Community Church statement of faith and membership covenant? And you can read that. In fact, with our new members class, we have them read those statements. And they all begin with the words, by God's grace, I am committed to this. Notice, by God's grace, I, it doesn't say, I will perfectly do everything I'm saying right now. That's why we begin, by God's grace, I'm hoping, trusting by God's grace to be the kind of member who lives out the gospel in these ways. Hmm. So you're committing to the, you're trusting God to give you grace to live what the scripture says he wants for a son, a daughter of his through faith in Christ. Do you now promise, and this is part of question three still, do you now promise and resolve in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Jesus Christ? Meaning, it's not just why I'm here on Sunday doing the deal with everybody, but my life is his. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And whether I'm here on Sunday or in the workplace or facing temptation in the ways that all of us do, I want to live my life by God's grace in a way that honors Christ. Mm. Will I do it right all the time? No. That's why I love 1 John, where it says, I'm writing to you little children that you may not sin. If he stopped there, we'd all go, well, I'm dead. Mm. Listen to the next phrase. But if you do sin, oh, thank you, Lord, keep going. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, meaning chooses to live a life that says, I want to honor you, Jesus, as Christ is pure. And that when we see him, we'll be like him. In other words, we ain't gonna get there We ain't going to be all that we want to be and God's word calls us to be until we see Jesus. The moment you see him, boom, in that moment, Mm. we become like Christ. In the meantime, you know how God sees you if you belong to Christ? He doesn't see you as you see yourself or as others may see you. He sees you covered in the righteousness of his son. Mm. That's why when you look at the story of the prodigal son, the most famous story Jesus told, one might say, that son coming home starts with he came to his senses, living with the pigs, destroying his life. All the stuff that that represents. When he said, then he says, he thought about his father. What did he think about his father? He's mean. He's horrible. He's terrible. No. He thought about the goodness of his father who treats his servants so well. Maybe I could become a servant. All the repentance that is reflected in this guy's thinking in that story. And he heads towards home. And the father, the scripture makes clear, Jesus tells the story, is watching down the road. He's not got his arms crossed going, you stinking, whatever. He's watching and then seeing him, he doesn't wait. He gathers up his robe, which was considered inappropriate for a Jewish man and he runs to his son and when he gets to his son you heard this in Sam's message 
several months ago. He throws his arms around his son. He begins kissing him. Remember what he smells like. Mm. He's been with the pigs. He doesn't say, oh, man, let's clean you up. He throws Mm. his arms around him. He kisses him. He calls for a robe. This is a picture of the righteousness of Christ to cover up, if you will, his sin. He puts a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet, and says, let's get home and celebrate, for this son of mine who was lost is found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but mm-hmm. now am found. But now am found. Was, was blind, blind, but, but now, now I, see. I see. You know who wrote those words? John Newton. You know who John Newton was? He was a slave trader. He's responsible for the, not just death, the murder of tens of thousands of African slaves. If anybody deserves hell, his mama prayed for him. The power of a mother's prayers. And this adult man came to his senses. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The point of that is that when God looks at you, if you belong to Christ, he doesn't see me in my sin. Hmm. Hmm. He doesn't see the, me the way Kathy knows me, the way I know myself, the way Sam knows me, the way that those you're closest to know you. He sees you covered in the righteousness of his son. And guess what his son is doing right now? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding, not pleading, not going, I know I died for him, I know I shed my blood, I know you. He's just saying, Father, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. So the moment you come to heaven, if you're asked the question, why should I let you in? That's not what will happen. But if the first word of your mouth is, I, you missed it. Mm -hmm. The first word is, the phrase, you shouldn't. But, and before you get to give the rest of your answer, Jesus says, Father, she's with me. He's with me. He purchased you with his blood. Mm. And that means you're precious to him. You were precious before he died for you. That's why he went to the cross. And you're even more precious now that he has bought you with his blood. And nothing can ever separate you from the love of God Mm. in Christ Jesus. No matter on your worst day. And we have those, don't we? Not just because of what some may do to us, but how we feel about ourselves. I failed again. In that moment, the enemy says to you, here's what Martin Luther said, when the enemy throws your sins in your face and says, you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and he has said that where he is, there will I be also. His hope is in Christ, and so is yours and mine. So don't believe the lie of the enemy, you who belong to Christ. Mm. Believe the word of Jesus who said, you're mine for time and eternity. If you don't know Christ, you don't have Jesus yet until you trust him advocating for you 
you haven't had yet applied to you the benefits and blessings of his blood shed for you. My favorite verse, my life verse, people don't have those anymore, but in the old days, that's what we did, is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. He's talking about his old nature, his old self. Still struggles, but I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He could have ended living by faith in the Son of God, but he can't help himself who loved me, who loves me, and gave himself up for me. He knows the cross is what brings him to Christ. It's Christ and his cross. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at my watch and your clock, and that's... I'll be back in three years when he invites me again. Perfect. No, perfect timing. Um, I don't know about you. I I could listen to Pastor Chuck talk all night. I didn't finish the five questions, did I? (laughs) I, That's okay. okay. You did did great. I crossed out pretty much everything you covered. It was awesome. (laughs) Sorry, y'all. Some of you might be thinking, I thought Christianity was all about love. Why are you talking about duties? Why are you talking about responsibilities? To one another. And if you pit love with responsibility, or if you pit love against duty and commitment, you've yet to discover what biblical love is. Mm-hmm. Love commits, love lays down its life, love sacrifices, mm-hmm. love endures, it bears. Love doesn't look for the soonest opportunity to go to some other church. And if you haven't heard tonight, the love of Christ freely preached, freely disclosed to sinners like you and I, then you're probably not going to be wooed to the concept of committing to a family, being endeared to the wonders of being able to be in a, in a community where we celebrate this Jesus that we've heard. That's what, that's what this is. So, mm-hmm. Pastor Chuck, thank you for coming and saying what you've said. You've ministered the word to us. Mm-hmm. You've preached Christ to us. You've preached the gospel to us. And you've shown us the deep, profound importance of church membership far deeper than I imagine many churches would be willing to describe. I think too many are content to make it about, you know, sort of compelling us to to be committed, but you've shown us the very heart of God and his design, and for that I'm so grateful. Would you be willing to pray for us as Josh comes up to lead us in a closing song? Yes, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Love you, brother. Thank you all for your grace tonight. My sweet Kathy, when I get home, she has this little thing she says to me that you've heard me say before. She says, you know, honey, you don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. I think that's going to be on my headstone. He said everything that came to his mind until he got cut off. But (laughs) (laughs) let's pray. Lord, seeing these faces and smiles... Your word tells us that we look at the outward appearance, but you see the heart. And how grateful we are for the gift of being able to see one another and to know that each one is
uniquely created by you. And, but how much more, Lord, do we give you thanks that you see not only our outward appearance, our face, you know our hearts, you know the feelings and questions and doubts and struggles that different that every one of us has in different ways. And you love us. You see each of us individually, you love us. And Lord, as you, um, we, we pray together for one another that your grace in Christ Jesus would be received by each of us. If we know you, that we would more and more be grateful for and walk in the grace that is given to us through your Son not just to save us, but to sanctify us and to make us more like him until we see you, until we see him face to face. And for any who are here tonight who don't know if they know you or know they don't know you and don't believe, we thank you that you see them, you know them, you love them. And we're asking, Father, for the sake of their hearts and their lives, their souls, that you would grant them grace to believe in you, Jesus, and what you've accomplished for them on the cross, and that your purpose is to make them your own, to give them not only forgiveness, but your righteousness, and to give them a relationship with you that leads to whatever might be uncertain about the future, that leads to a sense of belonging and purpose not just for this day or this year, but for eternity. So Lord Jesus, precious Savior, work in each of our hearts to draw us more and more to yourself. Thank you for your church. Thank you for what you've granted to us here. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.